It's time for Horrenda's Agenda, Bill's reflections on sports and life. Another edition of Horrendous Agenda. Today we are fortunate to have Scott Howard Cooper. You read him at NBA.com. You see him on NBA TV. You follow him at S. Howard Cooper. He is peripatetic, literally traveling the, traveling the globe following the NBA and basketball in general. Scott, welcome to Horrendous Agenda. Bill, it's great to talk to you as always. Thanks for the invitation to come on. Absolutely. And Scott, of course, as we settle in here in August and uh, take a little bit of a deep breath, it's really been a frenetic off season. I guess I have to start with the obvious question. Who do you believe will be in a different uniform? Who's more likely to be in a different uniform, Kyrie Irving or Carmelo Anthony, when we get to the regular season? Can I vote neither? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, as much as uh, – as much as both these guys have made it clear that they would like uh, a new mailing address, as much as there's a constant flurry of trade conversations, trade reports, trade rumors that have gone on now for quite some time, I think the overlooked factor is that it's possible that neither gets traded by opening night. Um, certainly, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if a deal does get done, but I'm saying it's not an automatic that uh, the Cavaliers have every reason to be saying, look, this is a team that can win the Eastern Conference Championship. At, at worst, they're what, number two, maybe even number one in the minds of a lot of people in the East? So it's not like that they're going to be doing a fire sale. It's a different situation with the Knicks, obviously, where, they, where they're thinking, geez, we, we need to get something because it's not like we're going to win a championship this season, so we need to be able to flip Carmelo before he leaves for nothing. But in the Cavaliers' mind, uh, maybe they let the clock play out a little bit longer. And uh, if the Rockets and the Knicks can't find a third team to help facilitate the Carmelo trade, then maybe that deal doesn't happen either. I think it's possible that you get to opening night and both those guys are still on the Cavaliers and the Knicks. And, and of course, Scott, without going like totally pathologist, you're right at this portion of the year it's very difficult to execute trades with you know the draft and free agency now in the rearview mirror and also do you think that it's somewhat sobering for executives in the league to look at the return on Jimmy Butler and or Paul George for what the trade market realistically could yield for even big names like Kyrie or Melo you know, Bill, that's a great point, and you can even go back a few months before that and and bring the DeMarcus Cousins trade into that because I know that that at the time a lot of people said, really, that, that's all you could get for DeMarcus Cousins, and then you see how little that the Bulls got back for Jimmy Butler. The Paul George situation was a little bit different because I think that, that clearly uh, they had uh, the, the Pacers had to move him. Uh, he's made it clear he, he wanted to be elsewhere, Los Angeles, uh, before too long, and that they, they just figured they needed to get something for him. But, but yeah, I think that there's probably uh, a few people that are sitting in the big glass offices in some of these buildings saying, let's let's keep our guys happy, let's, because uh, there's so many people now that are making deals from a position of weakness. And when you look at the Paul George deal, the Marcus Cousins deal, 
um, the Jimmy Butler deal. But yeah, there are there are a lot of people around there saying, really, that's all you could get. And, and of course, Scott, when you take a look at things, if you know, as far as the, the trade market goes uh, and what have you, I, I would I would say this. Perhaps people who follow the league closely, who have coached, played, recognize that there is a certain amount of dysfunction that occurs in even the most successful franchises. So, you know, as you mentioned with Paul George kind of getting the word out uh, that he wanted out, were you surprised that Kyrie Irving kind of took a similar tack? Now, we really haven't heard, unless I've missed it, directly from Kyrie, but according to all reports, uh, he's kind of taken a similar route as Paul George did. Yeah, the Kyrie one, I think, was a big surprise to people uh, because he was getting paid and he was getting wins. And that's, that's usually – uh, the driving factor for players. It's not like he was saying I'm about to become a free agent as in the Paul George case, for example. Uh, and I, I need, I need to be in a different situation. Um, he's in a place that he was consistently making playoff runs into June and it still wasn't enough. And I think that's the part that kind of gets that, that that was a real surprise is you never really heard any rumblings uh, that he was unhappy in Cleveland. And you certainly, it certainly wasn't a situation where a guy says, "I want to go someplace where I can win," because he was—he isn't one. He wasn't one. And it's, got, it's almost interesting to talk about the NBA, and I, I think sometimes we forget because you know we're talking about off-season moves and changes, and of course the Cavaliers have won a title, have been to the finals three consecutive years, but to not even mention the Warriors or the Spurs. It almost seems like they're uh, – well, of course, the Warriors now in a different category, their hegemony and what have you. But it seems that sometimes when you do things the right way, you're not really in the news for the wrong reasons, and you're able to manage egos, uh, reload and not rebuild. And sometimes when I'm asked about it, it, it's almost as if the conversation has to start with the Warriors – just because of Kevin Durant's magnanimous nature, their ability to re-sign most of their guys. And sometimes I think it's, you know, we get kind of get caught up in the flash and what, you know, the shiny new red toy is, as opposed to recognizing kind of the stability of those types of franchises that others are really seeking, you know, they're seeking to get to that level. Well, if you're talking about stability and longevity, uh, it's, the conversation that begins with the Spurs. Not necessarily the conversation for who is the best team right now, but the Spurs are the franchise that everybody has wanted to be for many, many years, and, and the Warriors are the first to say that, that uh, count them among that group as well. And Golden State is now getting to that position uh, where you're known as a place of stability, uh, a place of a lot of wins, a rare, very positive atmosphere with a lot of good chemistry, uh, there's obviously a lot of connections there because Steve Kerr is a former Spur. Um, so there are some similarities. The difference, of course, is that the Spurs have done it for decades, whereas the Warriors have done it for years. Yeah, and it's incredible. So when you look at the numbers, I mean, you know, the Spurs holding opponents under 100 points for something like two decades. I mean, that statistic in and of itself floors me when I – you know, refer to it or am reminded of it 
How do you feel about the Clippers and Chris Paul going to the Rockets, those two franchises, of course, now the Rockets for sale and perhaps Beyonce uh, in acquisition mode there, uh, not to mention Dikembe Mutombo. But what's your take on this Chris Paul going to the Rockets with, uh, of of course, partnering now with James Harden and then the Clippers kind of trying to reload and not rebuild with changes in the front office, uh, specifically with Doc Rivers kind of, uh, I wouldn't say being reassigned, but relinquishing some responsibility within the front office. Well, I think the Rocket situation is going to be one of the the top storylines to watch going into the season because any time you add Chris Paul, your your team is better for it. I think he's a guy that everyone knows is full of positives. They did not give up uh, what you would call a star uh, to get him, which makes the deal even better. The interesting thing is going to be that Chris Paul is a guy who operates best with the ball in his hands and being able to either distribute to somebody else or take the shot himself. James Harden is a guy who operates best with the ball in his hands, either to get a shot himself or to, or to pass to somebody and, and build us some assist. So the, I think there is going to be a transition period there. How do these guys fit together? Uh, that is going to be something that I think is, is going to be real interesting to watch going into the season. But here's the big the big reason I think that it'll work is Chris Paul, I think, loves the idea of playing off the ball a lot more. It's obviously got terrific three-point range. He's a scorer, not just a passer. And I think at this stage of his career, if he doesn't, in addition to have to carry so much of the scoring load, if he isn't also the guy that's bringing the ball up and taking the beating and always having to get other people involved in the offense as well, I think there's a possibility that, while we're all sitting here saying, boy, I'm real curious how this is going to work out, I have my doubts, I think Chris Paul is probably saying, I'm, I'm looking forward to this in a big way. Uh, I'll gladly relinquish uh, some of the ball-handling responsibilities because I think he sees this as a big opportunity and let James Harden do exactly what James Harden did last year, which is have the ball in his hand for the majority of the time, and he'll find Chris Paul on the wing, and Chris will still get his shots. He'll still get his touches. Hey, Scott, how about the uh, Clippers? What, what's your take on, of course, they were built to win, and their roster moves uh, thus far, plus the changes in the front office. Well, a big, a big transition period, because just as I was saying, uh, if you add Chris Paul, you're going to be better. Uh, if you subtract Chris Paul, you're not going to be as good. So I think that there's a chance that the Clippers will take a step back. How far of a step back? Uh, I think remains to be seen. I don't think it'll be dramatic because they still have um, they still have Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Patrick Beverly will will help the defense. Uh, they brought in uh, Gallinari. I know they're excited about that front line. The Gallinari, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan front line. Uh, the people with the Clippers are, are really excited about that. But it's not like they were making championship runs with Chris Paul. They were losing in the first round. So uh, I still think they make the playoffs, and if they lose in the first round, they were doing that anyway. I think that at some point you probably had to to break up this group because it clearly was not working. Uh, they were good enough to lose in the first or second round every year when they should have been contending for a championship. The problem is, I think that if there's if you were to say, all right, how do we break this team up? You say, well, not Chris Paul. He's the guy who want to keep. <laughs> And he's the guy at the end of the losing. Also, we shouldn't, the name that doesn't get mentioned, but also had a big role, 
losing JJ Redick, I think, is going to have a is going to have an impact with the Clippers as well. Sure, it'll be interesting Scott, to see Theodosic in the NBA. And uh, speaking of point guards, I'd be remiss not to ask just your impressions of uh, Lavar Ball, Lavar Ball, uh, of Lonzo Ball. Uh, from the Lakers, and uh, just your f- feel for what's going on there and what that could look like. Yeah, you know what my impressions of Lavar. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, uh, we'd be interested in that as well, for sure. <laughs> uh, I think that what people need to keep in mind is that Lonzo is not his dad. Uh, Lonzo is team first. Um, he's a true point guard, and so when we talk about team first, He's a guy that literally wants everybody involved. It's, he does, it's not about his spotlight. Uh, he's a guy that, for having played one season of college basketball, is far ahead of the curve in terms of instincts, IQ, court vision, um, all those intangibles that make that are such a benefit to a point guard. A lot of those things where people say you really can't teach that feel, and he has that feel. Um, I think that I think that he has a chance to have an immediate impact. Uh, the Lakers obviously are not going to be making any any championship runs this year, but he has a chance to be good right away. And that the Lakers are building something. Uh, they do have a lot of promise in place now, and it's just a matter of seeing what all comes together. Uh, but he has a chance to be a big part of the future there. He, there's a lot of people around the league. I'm not just talking about media and fans who are talking about this guy. Front offices think that he has a chance to be a uh, an all-star many times over. And Scott, watching him and seeing him live, I, I default to why don't more guys play like this? Like you said, you know, alluded to his anticipation. And you know how it goes. Guys get enthused. They know that if they rim run, for example, or if you're open on any part of the floor, he is going to find you. You know, his ability for touch passes uh, is really something that can become contagious. And I think just if you enjoy basketball, it is something fun to watch, to see how he'll get others involved and just kind of spread and share the ball. And like you said, just kind of the – a demeanor that's really low key, and he's a we guy, not a me guy. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch him develop uh, in Los Angeles, particularly under the tutelage of, you know, not just Luke Walton, but also Magic Johnson as well as Rob Polink. It will be kind of fun to see how that evolves. Obviously, there's the chance that there's going to, there's going to be some distractions around him, shall we say? <laughs> uh, some some family uh, situations. We have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, but hopefully it, it doesn't become a big factor in Lonzo's career because I think that uh, if if he was if his name was Bill Horenda or Scott Cooper, um, I think people would be a lot more excited about this guy. He's somebody worth rooting for. Uh, as I said, team first, um, old sort of a throwback in that he, he's a pass first point guard. Uh, I think he has a chance. There's he has a good chance to have a long and very successful career. It's got, speaking of distractions, uh, we know that a lot of listeners are fans of the Sacramento Kings. And just, you know, Zach Randolph on Thursday arrested on a felony charge of marijuana possession with the intent to sell by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Uh, and his agent, 
Raymond Brothers telling the AP, quote, the charges are false and misleading. We're looking at all options to resolve this matter. Uh, I think it's important to remember innocent until proven guilty, but uh, I'm curious your impression of this. And, and, of course, there's the irony here, right, that he comes over as a free agent, two-year, $24 million deal, along with George Hill and Vince Carter to kind of mentor some of the younger guys in Sacramento. Uh, just curious what people around the league uh, are feeling in their reaction to this uh, to this deal. With Zach, who, of course, is a veteran guy. I mean, he's incredible 16 years in the league. He's 36 years old now. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I haven't uh, talked to many people. I'm sort of taking a, a down week this week, so I haven't had many conversations uh, with people around the league. I think that um, people probably see it as unfortunate. Um, you, you hit on the key point, and that's underlined as we have this entire conversation, which is innocent until proven guilty. And there's a long way to go until we know, until there's a resolution and we know what actually happened. But I can tell you this, that there were a lot of people that have been speaking up for many years about how this guy's reputation has changed so much that uh, he was part of those jailblazers back in the day and and he had some run-ins with the law when he was younger and things like that. But some of the people uh, with some of the teams that he had been with later in his career just raved about him. I mean, I'm not saying they spoke positive about him. I'm saying they raved about him, about how this guy could be such a positive uh, presence on a team. And so for this to happen... Uh, even if it, even if everything goes away and he's he's proven 100% innocent, that again is a big if. Uh, I think it's disappointing to people because because Zach had done so much to to improve his image. In case you're just joining us, it's Scott Howard Cooper, our guest on Horrendous Agenda. You read him at NBA.com. You see him on NBA TV. You follow him at S Howard Cooper. And Scott, have you? Can you remember an off-season, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, 0% turnover in the coaching ranks? Last season, uh, if you include, you know, not just the off-season, but what occurred during the season, by my count, it was six coaches in the East, six in the West getting whacked for a 40% turnover ratio. Uh, but can you remember an off-season where there were no coaching changes like this one? No, not just the off-season, but the – the last season as well. It's it's an anomaly. I know it's one that the coaches love and hope continues. As much as there's coaches out there that want their opportunity, uh, I think that everybody in the profession uh, that goes by the, the slogan of you get hired to get fired likes seeing stability. It, it bodes well for, for people, and hopefully it does continue. But it, it, it is a strange one, I'll give you that. It's got, like Ed Norton on the Honeymooners once said, coaching ain't all beer and Skittles. So I think it'll be a long time before uh, parents are encouraging their kids, yes, stability, go into coaching. It's definitely a stable uh, a stable environment. And, Scott, how about this? Do you think that the NBA is starting to rival, let's say, the NFL as far as being a 12-month-a-year Sport and having the attention and, you know, just the uh, headlines that it's garnered, it seems as though it's really gaining in popularity throughout the entire calendar year. Yeah, in that way, it is rivaling the NFL. I think the NFL is still the monster. Uh, I think it still dominates the landscape. 
but as far as there's no there's no off season in the off season, yeah, that's that's the NBA for sure. It's got final question. Obviously, people that follow you and, and, and enjoy your work know that you are truly all over the globe uh, covering the NBA and, and the game in general. It, it, this may be a difficult question to answer, but has there been a favorite destination for you or a fav- favorite assignment just over the last 12 months? Wow. I'm having to pause, which is, I think is probably a good sign of just how lucky I am that I get to do so many cool things and go to so many great places. Uh, but I think that nothing will ever rival the chance to go to Afghanistan in February um, with Karan Butler, Sam Perkins, Bob Delaney, and Ivy Lada of the WNBA and cover a USO tour and to to sort of see, uh, you talk about behind the scenes, there's so few people that get to be in that situation of going going to Afghanistan and living among the troops and seeing that level of the dedication, uh, the professionalism, the bravery, the sacrifice, um, that's something that will stay with me forever. And, and we probably can take off the disclaimer of the last 12 months when you ask if what stands out over the last 12 months. I think that that will stand out over 1,200 years, however long I'm around. Um, that one is is, re- is really special just because the uh, what you're able to see that most people don't get a chance to see, the, the men and women standing up for the country so far away, the sacrifice, and the joy that they got in the NBA and the WNBA people coming to visit them when when it was these four people, it was the other way around. It was, no, no, don't thank us for coming here. We came here to thank you. And it was all-time special. Absolutely, Scott. Thank you so much for bringing that to us and for joining us today. Again, you can catch Scott's work in the archives of his travels all over the world, including the USO Tour uh, in Afghanistan at NBA.com. He's Scott Howard Cooper. You see him on NBA TV. You follow him on Twitter at S. Howard Cooper. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Horrendous Agenda, and I look forward to uh, continuing the dialogue with you as we roll into training camp and then the regular season. Thanks, Bill. I enjoyed the visit. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Horrenda and catch him daily on the KFBK Morning News. Cold-blooded, cold-blooded, I'm telling you the truth. Let me stop here at this gas station.